Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12 is where we'll be. But that hymn that we just sang, you think about all that was against Martin Luther. I mean, he turned against the established religion of his day. He nailed his theses to the door and uh, pinned this hymn, Will Not Fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. And you can kind of think about that as we read um, what we're reading this morning out of Acts chapter 13. And he says below that, the Spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. God's on our side. The battle belongs to the Lord. Victory is his. And we're not going to fail in anything he calls us to undertake because it's his victory. It's his battle. And... uh, He will bring His power to bear upon those situations where He chooses to move and to work like He does in this place. In Acts chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse number 4. So they, and that they, I tell you what, let me, it's only three verses, let's back up to verse number 1. We included that in what we finished up with chapter 12 last week, but so you know who they are. Let's, instead of me just saying who they are, let's read verses 1 through 3 as well. Now there was in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that is called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul who is the Apostle Paul. This will be the last place that we see him called Saul. It's interesting to note that. Um, After this, he will always be known as the Apostle Paul. Verse number 2, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. You know, the Spirit and the gifts being ours, we just sang about, here's the Spirit of God, and we're not told exactly how the Spirit spoke unto them. Um, I've heard of prayer meetings where people have gathered together to pray at, 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 you know, different hours, and it may have been midnight, these men may have been praying and, and um, the Lord may speak to several of them while they're praying the same thing. After they finished praying, they all stood up and said, I think we ought to do this. And several people have said the same thing. And, <clears throat> of course, they continued to pray about, that, pray about that thing that they all said. They didn't just assume that um, automatically this is something we ought to do. We ought to continue to pray about this to see when we ought to do it, perhaps, or how we ought to do it. Um, we don't just go out and do it. We still need to know how the Lord have us to do it, even though we know what we're supposed to do. And we didn't know when he would have us to do it. But the Spirit, regardless, spoke unto these men and told them to separate Barnabas and Saul for the work that he had called them unto. And you look there in verse number 1, there's several men here who are qualified men. And maybe the church at Antioch doesn't need, you know, all four of these men here. Maybe, maybe we just need to have Simeon and, and Lucius and Manan there to preach to the church. And the Lord's going to now separate Barnabas and Saul. You know, I thought about this some. I thought about Tim's dad and, and his mom. And they have plans to, to come and, and build a house and, and live here in the area and, and, and join us. And I think about Brother Mark and his church there in Baton Rouge. And here's this man that he's, that he, he's trusted and, and, and he's leaned upon. He's preaching for him this morning, as a matter of fact because Brother Mark's preaching at camp. The Bentley camp's going on right now. And this man, for all that we can tell and see right now, what the Lord's led them to do is coming here and leaving there. And we hate to see people go. And these people in Antioch probably hated to see Saul and Barnabas leave. They, they liked having them there. You know, here's these men. These men are good for us, you know. But the Lord separated them and says, no, I need them to go to this place. It's not... And then when the Lord does that, there was a prospect not... Too awful long ago, it's still fresh upon my mind, and I know some, some of yours too, when I thought the Lord was going to call me to go somewhere else. And uh, that was a, a scary proposition for me and for, for you too. But if the Lord had done that, He would have raised somebody up here or brought somebody up here. I mean, what did He do whenever, whenever Brother Pounds left and then, um, can't even think of his name, Brother Pierce left. I mean, what did the Lord do? The Lord had been preparing me for some years before that. I didn't know 
I mean, I would stand up here reading scripture. I'd bring a devotion when I was asked to or fill in what I was asked to. Uh, I didn't know the Lord was preparing me to, to pastor the church. And now I've been here for 12 years. But the Lord's not going to leave Antioch without somebody. And the Lord will fill that gap there in Baton Rouge when Brother Mike comes here if the Lord chooses to continue to, to lead them in that direction. Um, <clears throat> he seems to be leading J.D. and Emily here. And I don't know what kind of a place that, that J.D. holds in the assembly there in, in Rusk, but I'm sure they'll miss him when he's gone. And we have that same sort of thing here in the Lord separating um, Saul and Barnabas for the work that he called them to. Verse number 3 says, when they had fasted and prayed. So here's, here's the Spirit of God has said unto them. God has instructed them and told them, I need you to separate Saul and Barnabas. And so that's in their hearts that I've already described. But in verse number 3, they're wanting to do the will of God. Whatever the Lord would call them to do, they want to do it. If it means separating Saul and Barnabas, and Saul and Barnabas going and, and ministering somewhere else, and them not having them anymore, then so be it. And so here they are fasting and praying about this happening. And Lord, how would you send them? How would you have us? You know, we're with them in this, in other words. And when, when that happens, when Saul and Barnabas are separated, or when Mike and, uh, Brother Mike and Sister Doreen are separated from Baton Rouge, our hearts, you know, or somebody separated from here, our hearts ought to be with them. You know, they're a part of us. And the Lord's sending them somewhere else. And, and our hearts ought to be with them. And our prayers ought to be with them. And that's what's happening in verse number 3. And they sent them away, it says, after they had fasted, prayed, and laid their hands upon them. And then verse number 4. So they, that's the they that I mentioned a while ago when I started reading verse number 4. And we went back and read verses 1 through 3. So they being sent forth, they, Paul and Barnabas, by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. <clears throat> now, where they're going is where Barnabas is really from. But we, we know of a certainty that them praying and fasting and being sent away, that this is where the Lord had sent them to. They wouldn't just go there of, of their own accord or say, hey, that looks like a good place. We've got to go there. You know, I'm from Cyprus. Let's go to Cyprus. Now, the Lord had directed them this way. Verse number 5 says, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. This is not John, the brother of James, who was killed at the beginning of Acts chapter 12. This is John Mark, who Peter, when he was released from prison, went to that house that prayer and supplication was being made on his behalf for. It was, it was um, the mother of John Mark where he went to. So this is the John that's with them. It's John Mark. Verse number 6. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, even a Jew at that, whose name was Bar-Jesus. And that word Bar, you, you remember uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, you know, Peter. He was Simon, the son of Jonah. Well, Bar-Jesus, this man claimed, I don't know if he claimed to be the son of Jesus, but that's what his name means. And Jesus was a common name. He could have been the son of a person named, whose name was Jesus. But um, it means son of Savior. That's what that name means. Verse number 7, which was the deputy of the country, the deputy of the country of that of Paphos, <coughs> and Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who was called for Barnabas and Saul, who called for them. Let me go back and read verse number 7 again. Which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now this deputy, he's a governor. The Sergius Paulus is a governor of this land. And this man, um, Bar-Jesus, who in a minute we'll see in verse number 8, is also called Elymas. He was um, a counselor to this man who was governor of this country, this man Sergius Paulus, who had called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Verse number 8, here's, here's this man again, this sorcerer, this man named Bar-Jesus, who's also called Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation. He withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy, that is, Sergius Paulus, that we read of in verse number 7, away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, as I said, from this point on, he'll be referred to that way, filled with the Holy Ghost, fastened his eyes or set his eyes upon him, and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? 
And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, that is Sergius Paulus, when he saw that was done, or what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord, or the instruction of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask this morning once again as we come, Father, with your word open before us, that you would speak unto us, and that you would clear our thoughts, clear our minds, that you would remove every obstacle, Father. I know that we said before that the devil, certainly, if he could have kept us from being here, he would have been, and no doubt, Father, he would even be in this service this morning seeking to keep our thoughts from this text, from this passage, from the words that are spoken. Father, that he would seek to cause us to be distracted, to think of other things that are happening perhaps later on in the day or have happened in the week prior. But Father, I ask that you would, by your Spirit, because as we sang this morning, the Spirit and the gifts are ours. Father, that you would, by your Spirit, cause every one of us, Father, this morning to be fastened as Paul fastened his eyes or set his eyes upon this sorcerer who is seeking to turn away this man from the faith, that you would cause us to be fastened upon your word this morning and to hear, Father. Give us a hearing ear, Father. Help us to understand. Help us to apply, Father, whatever it is that we would take away from this service unto our lives that we may further, Father, glorify you in all that we do. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One way or another, Satan will seek to shut down the efforts to build the kingdom of God. Now that effort could be an effort that you are making as a child of God to further the kingdom of God in your life around you and those that you are coming into contact with and those that you have an opportunity to speak unto. Or it could be the furtherance of the kingdom of God in your own life. And one way or another, Satan will seek to hinder that work from being accomplished. He has numerous things at his disposal to use. Just like when I was praying a while ago, just keeping our thoughts by causing us to be distracted. You know, maybe <clears throat> by Anna. You know, you could be, oh, isn't that so cute? Or whatever. Or her crying. And, or anything else. You know, Ryan's hair is not parted the same way this week that it was last week. Or, you know, that hair sticking up in the back. You know, I need to, I wish I could put that down. You know, there's not Ryan. I'm I'm just saying, it could be anything. Or can you believe that she wore that purple sweater, you know, with that dress? You know, I, I don't know. Anything it could be that the Lord would use. You know, to distract you from hearing the Word of God. Or to distract someone else. And Martha, we'd have lots of conversations in that golf shop there. And what would happen? I mean, we'd immediately start talking about things and the phone would ring. You know, it'd be a, a dead day on the golf course. There wouldn't be a soul around... And all of a sudden the phone starts ringing. It won't stop ringing. You know, why? Because we're, we're, we're speaking about the things of God and, 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 and you know, helping one another. And the devil doesn't want that to happen. And he's trying to interfere and interrupt. So he will do whatever he can to shut down any effort of building the kingdom of God. So that's one thing that we see going on here. And really is the principal thing that we see happening. And with that in mind, that's, that's what we're going to, to, to look at this morning. Um, and, you know, pull in some of the thoughts from the Scripture reading this morning about, and it's really what I've, I, I have, I have uh, titled the message this morning, Prepare ye the way of the Lord and make His path straight. You see, um, let's see what verse is it here. Verse number 10. At the end of verse number 10, he says, Wilt thou not cease to pervert? The right ways of the Lord. The way of the Lord's right. It's true. It's straight. You know, there's 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 no there's no turning to the right hand or the left. You know, it's it's like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. He says, How will I know when he gets to the wicked gate? How will I know which way is the way of the Lord? Which which way I'm to go? And the man at the head of the gate said, It's straight. It's straight. It doesn't turn to the right hand, it doesn't turn to the left. It doesn't veer one way or the other. It's not curvy. You know, it goes straight on. And every time that Christian and those who are with him got into trouble is when they took some byway. 
You know, they were on, and the straight way, let me say this about the straight way, sometimes it will lead like it did for Christian. You know, it's a very difficult way. You know, this is the straight way, this is the right way. How often is it that the right thing to do is the hardest thing to do? You know, that will be the case. And what did Christian do? They jumped over the fence because the way that they were on was rocky and it was hard, and they saw that just right beside the way that they were in, there was this nice, smooth meadow comfortable to the feet, pleasing to the eyes. You know, let's walk there. Look, it just goes right along this way. Why should we walk on these rocks that are hard on our feet when we can walk over here on this nice, smooth, grassy meadow? And little by little, they didn't see it led away from the straight and the narrow. And it will happen that way every time. If you seek to take the easy way instead of the right way, it's going to lead away from the way you should be going. And you're going to have more trouble Though it looks easy, and though it looks like it would be more tender upon the feet and more pleasing to the eyes, and you think I can do the same thing, it's going right along the same way, I can you know, make up better time, maybe. I'll do it this way. God says I should do this, but you know, this looks like it'll be easier, and I can get the job done faster if I go this way. Every time when you do that, you look back, and it was harder because we left the way, and we got into more trouble, and so we had, to, we had to go back the way that we came to get back to where we were to get back on the right path. You know? And so now instead of making up you know, time and getting there faster by going a different way, we've actually increased our labor and we've increased the time it would have taken us to get there to begin with because we've had to double back now and get back to where we left the pathway to begin with. So <clears throat> it is a straight and it is a narrow way. A very narrow way that we are called to walk in and that we are to point others down. And this is the way that you should walk. You know, we talk about what is the right ways of the Lord. You know, this is what is right. Here's where you are. You need to be over here. You can't be over there. You've got to be right here. It's straight and it's narrow. No deviation. So with that uh, from this morning in mind, preparing the ways of the Lord, making his path straight, this is what Paul and Barnabas are seeking to do, and they find this man. He's just like worldly wise men. If you, if you haven't yet read Pilgrim's Progress, you hear me referring to it all the time, you ought to read it. It's a very good book. But on his way, Christian meets this man, this worldly wise man's his name. And he turns Christian out of the way. He's got this burden on his back. And he wants to be rid of his sin. And he says, well, if you go over there, you know, legalism's the way. You know, if you become a legalist, then you can be rid of your, this burden of sin that you have. You, know, you don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to go the way that God has prepared, that God has provided. You don't need to go the straight and the right way. You need to go this way. This man, Elymas, this sorcerer, seeking to turn away Sergius Paulus, from the right way that Paul and Barnabas are trying to instruct him in, that he's actually asked them to come to him, which is a remarkable thing in itself. I mean, you think about this man's a Roman governor over the entire province, and he's asking for the gospel to be brought to him and preached to him. That's an incredible thought. I mean, that would be something like you getting an invitation, and the President of the United States has asked that you come and you preach the gospel unto him. That's an amazing thing. So we find Paul and Barnabas being separated by the Holy Spirit from the company in Antioch and being sent unto Cyprus. They didn't know why they were going to Cyprus. They had no idea they were going to run into this man, Elymas, this wicked sorcerer, or that they were going to run into an opportunity to be able to preach unto Sergius Paulus. When I thought about this in them ending up in Cyprus. I thought about another time, you remember when Paul saw in a vision the man in Macedonia in um, Acts 16, I think it is. He sees the man in Macedonia saying, come unto me, you know, come over here, we need your help, come help us. And they had tried to go, you know, here, they tried to go to Bithynia, they tried to go to this other place. And they, they couldn't go the places that they had thought, well, this would be a good way to go. You know, we, ought to, we ought to take our missionary journey in this direction now. Let's try to go that way. 
and the Lord would stop them. And they'd try to go another way, the Lord would stop them. And then the night after they tried to go every way they could, they, they, thought, they thought of, uh, then, they, then Paul had that vision and the man in Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. So, you know, we don't understand why we may be in the place we are, why we're going the direction that we're going, but the Lord makes that evident. All we need to make sure that we are is that, that we are sensitive to the Spirit's leading and that we are praying and, and seeking that we may do the Lord's will wherever it is that He may send us. We see in verse number 5 that as they were on their way, they were preaching the Word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. I mean, this was an acceptable place to be able to speak the Word of God. I mean, many times we see even our Lord went into the synagogue and, and uh, the word of, where the Word of God was, the Bible says, want to be read. Where the Word of God was read by different, you know, different people would read the Word. And he chose that passage out of Isaiah when he spoke. Um, but here, they would have opportunity to be able to speak. And maybe in this particular part of the, of the, the world at that time, um, the hatred for the way, as it was called, you know, the right way, the truth, that, that Christ was the Messiah and that there was no way to be uh, free from sin except through Him, no way to be reconciled unto God except through Him, that He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. You know, maybe the way there wasn't persecuted like it had been in other places. You know, they've been scattered now and they were in Antioch and they found a safe haven, it seems, there until James is killed and, now, and then Peter was imprisoned and now Barnabas and Saul are being sent even further. But this is undoubtedly where God wanted them to preach the word. And so they went where they, they knew that there would be a place where they would be provided an opportunity to be able to speak unto the people and at that particular place in that particular time, it was the synagogue. And they followed the course of these synagogues, as we understand it from history. They followed the course of these synagogues, and that's where they ended up here in this place in Paphos. That's where it ended. And it was an extremely immoral place. Very immoral place. They worshipped the goddess Venus uh, there. So it was, you know, sexual immorality and sexual sins were prevalent in this place. <clears throat> and so this is the sort of situation, circumstances, and place in which the Lord has led Barnabas and Paul into a place where wickedness was, had seated itself even in high places uh, with the Roman proconsul or governor. And really this is, this is where we have to fight anywhere in the world where we are. That's what Ephesians tells us in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. It says, Be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And part of the wiles of the devil here were Elymas standing against, or withstanding Paul and Barnabas. He says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I mean, this was a high place. The position that this man Sergius Paulus was in, he was governor of the whole country. And look what was standing right beside him. This man Elymas, this sorcerer who consulted, you know, with demons and who consulted the stars. You know, he didn't just study the stars. Now, he looked at the stars and they were lined up in a certain way or whatever he saw. You know, that's what he did. You know, he lived his life by those things. And the purpose of his opposition was to turn away the deputy from, or the governor, he's called the deputy here, but the governor from the faith. So we stand against spiritual wickedness, spiritual powers in high places. Um, it may be your boss. It, 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 it may be numerous different people uh, that we may stand against wickedness. You may have children in homes who are converted and their parents are unconverted. And they have to stand against wickedness there. Maybe their parents just let anything and everything be seen on the TV. And you think about a young child in that household trying to live godly. Trying to live right. Having to turn his eyes away from that which his parents allow freely in the home. Or alcohol or drugs or all sorts of things that may be allowed there by the parents because spiritual wickedness being seated in high places there, yet the Lord saved this child. 
And he's having to stand against the wiles of the devil even there. And looking at these people who may even, you know, they, they love him in a sense. They care for him, provide him. He trusts them. He looks to them in a sense because they are his, his parents. He's called by the word of God to honor his father and his mother. But yet look at the situation that he's in and the wickedness that he stands against. And we find that all over. You know, a spouse may be in, in a condition where you have to stand against that because they don't live for the Lord. Uh, or a child. It could be reverse role. It could be the parents trying to live for the Lord and the child's not. I mean, think about the wickedness that could be. In, think about the kids today in the public schools and the things that they're taught and they're exposed to and the way that they, they want to dress and live and, and the things that are, that are popular in the culture and that they get... They get you know, brought into the mainstream of and they want to bring it into the house and you as a godly parent are like, no, that can't be in my house. And what we have to stand against or what you may have to stand against. Seeking continually to pervert, as we see there in verse number 10, the right ways of the Lord. The devil's all about doing that all of the time. And we're going to have to stand against that all of our lives. And we're going to have to be strong in the Lord as Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says. And the power of his might, putting on the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because this is what we're wrestling against. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness, we're wrestling against. That which will seek to oppose us at every, on every hand. I don't want to say every turn, don't want to use that analogy because you know, we're talking about a straight path. It doesn't have any turns in it. You know, but on every hand, the foe we find, as we sing, drawn up in dread array. On every hand. As we said this morning, God has made a straight path to be reconciled unto Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. But Satan will try to corrupt that, pervert that, um, you know, show it in a different light. Um, you know, anything and everything that he can do. And that's what Elymas was seeking to do, was to turn away the deputy from faith in Christ Jesus. So the way you make crooked the straight paths of the Lord is to try to pervert and turn people away from serving God. And you may run into some Elymases. You may run into some people like this who will seek to turn away. Here you are, you've, the Lord's provided a door, and you may be a person in the workplace, and you're seeking to to um, be a witness to them, seeking to be a testimony to them, and to, to preach the Word of God in them. And someone else in the workplace is seeking to defeat everything and undermine everything that you're doing. Everything you're saying, they're seeking to undermine. And it may not be a person. It may be, you know, the media. Everything you're telling this person, the devil through the media is seeking to undermine everything that you're saying to him. But it says in verse number 9, Saul... It's interesting to think about Saul in this situation. You think, you think about the old Saul, what Saul would have done. You know, Saul might have just pulled out a sword and just you know, began hacking. But this man Saul, who had been full of himself, full of what he could do, full of wisdom which man teacheth, having sat at the feet of Gamaliel, full of pride and aspirations of being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as is said in Philippians 3, 5 through 6, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is of the law, blameless. He, he, this type of person that he used to be, here is standing before a man who is opposing everything that he has to say, who's trying to pervert the way, the right way, the way of truth. This man, it says, then Saul, in verse number 9, who is called Paul, or is also called Paul, you think about who Saul was. And let me tell you what his name now means. The name that he's been given, Paul, you may know this already, but Paul means small and little. That wasn't how Saul saw himself. Saul, as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, didn't see himself as small and little. He saw himself as great and significant. You know, a foe to be reckoned with is how he saw himself before the Lord saved him. But as Paul, you know, I don't know if he chose this name for himself. I, I know he seems to like the name. You know, he refers to himself this way. 
but small and little. That's the way we ought to be. We're called to be humble. We're called to be meek. We're called to be small, little. We're not great, but our God is. Our God is great. He's now feeble and weak in his own eyes. He wasn't that way before. He was great in his own sight. You know people that way. I mean, they are great in their own sight. But he's no longer this way. He's small and little. So don't get, don't get the idea of Saul, the type of anger and the type of hatred and the type of power that he once wielded facing this person. This, this person who's seeking to turn this man away from the faith. Because that's the, not the type of person he is anymore. He's small and little in his own sight. And a person who's seeking to do the will of God, no matter what it is. And it's kind of, you know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like David. You know, David had sinned against God, a great sin with Bathsheba and, and, and killing Uriah the Hittite. And the Lord told him you know, what would happen, and, and it did. And his son you know, basically came in and kicked him out of the palace and, and even um, you know, laid with his concubines in the sight of all the people. And all these things happened unto David and David was small certainly and little in his own sight after that had happened and probably much ashamed of his sin um, and that he had brought reproach upon the name of the Lord and here he is with his mighty men I mean these are the men that when David said that he would like to have a drink from the well that was in the middle of a garrison of troops you know a couple of these guys overheard David just mention that and they broke through the ranks and went at the peril of the, at the risk of their own lives, broke through the ranks just to get a cup of water for their king, you know, and brought it to him, and he poured it out on the ground before the Lord. He said, "How can I drink of that when these men have risked their own lives, you know, just because they overheard what I said, you know?" But here's these mighty men, you know, that that didn't take very keenly to a person disrespecting, you know, this man who was the king, whom God had established as the king, and you know, there's that man that's cursing David as David's leaving the city. And one of the mighty men saying to David, let me go over and just take his head off his shoulders. It won't be any problem at all. He won't, he won't be speaking or kicking up dust or throwing stones at you anymore. You know. That's what I think of when I think of uh, this situation with, with Paul here. That's not the type of man that, that Saul that Paul is anymore. We have a man who is subdued. We have a man who used to live in that, you know, he, anger used to fuel him, but no longer. He is subdued. He is under the Spirit's direction and control. Even in the situation with this man trying to undermine everything that he's saying, he knows he's about God's business and that God would would do what he would do. He would allow what he would allow. And that's why I brought up that man kicking up dust and throwing stones at David. Because David said, let him alone. God sent him. Let him alone. God sent him. And that's an interesting thought, isn't it? I mean, here is Sergius Paulus, a man who is the governor of the whole country. He's asked for um, Paul and Barnabas to come speak unto him. He wants to hear the gospel. And so I'm sure Saul and Barnabas were... You know, elated at the thought, here we get to go and speak unto this man. And when they get there, they find this opposition. It's interesting to think of it in that, in, in that realm, that God allowed this. Just like He allowed that man to throw stones and, and kick up dust and curse David, and David said, let him alone, God sent him. So also this man was sent by the Lord, in this sense that the Lord allowed him to be there. You know, how easy would it have been for this man not to be in Sergius Paulus's presence at that time, be absent for some reason. Maybe the Lord could have put him on a sickbed and he wouldn't have been there to oppose what Paul and Barnabas said. But no, the Lord allowed that man, knowing what he would do, the Lord allowed that man to get up out of bed that morning and put his shoes on and go to work and withstand Paul and Barnabas for a reason. He had a purpose in doing that. God has a purpose in everything that He does. 
Not anything that God does that He doesn't have a purpose in doing or allowing. So, Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, fastens his eyes upon this man. And when you think about a person being filled with the Holy Ghost, only a Paul can be. A person who's little in his own sight. A person who is proud and full of himself, there's, he's not going to be full of the Holy Ghost. He's full of himself. But he was full of the Holy Ghost. He was small and little in his own sight. He was dependent utterly upon God's power, upon God's strength, upon God's ability to do whatever God would do with him. The gifts of the Spirit are outside of ourselves. They come from God. If a man depends upon his own might, trusts in his own strength, what need does he have of the Spirit of God? When Saul was who he was before, he had no need of this feeling. He was full of hatred. He was full of pride. He was breathing out threatenings and railings against the church. But here is this man utterly dependent upon God to supply the means to do whatever it is that God sent him to do. And so here they are. Separated. By the Spirit Himself. To this work. And they find and face Opposition from the devil in the form of this man, Elymas, and God has allowed it to be so. This man was the governor's trusted advisor. The word Elymas meant wise one or sage. He was, he was a counselor unto him. And you would think that it wouldn't be good for this man to be there in the presence of Paul and Barnabas trying to preach the gospel, casting up roadblocks and obstacles. You would think it would be distracting and discouraging to Paul and Barnabas. But full of the Spirit, Paul fastens his eyes upon him and reveals him to be who he is. God would unmask this person in the sight of Sergius Paulus. He wouldn't allow him to... He didn't let him be late to work or didn't let him uh, be sick in bed. He wanted him there. He wanted him unmasked. He wanted him to be shown for who he was and what he was and the sight of this man. Paul reveals him to be a child of the devil. That's interesting that Paul uses that term because his name barred Jesus meaning son of Savior. He says, and that's not what you are. You're a child of the devil is what you are. Very opposite of his name. He tells him that he's full of subtlety and mischief. And that's the opposite of a wise person. A wise person is not full of those things. He calls him an enemy of all righteousness, perverting the ways of God. The very opposite of the title he'd assumed in verse number 6 when he is called there a false prophet. So he claimed to be a prophet, but the Bible calls him a false one. He claimed to be a prophet but he was an enemy of righteousness. So here this man is, and we are going to find opposition on every hand, just like Paul and Barnabas do here. I tell you, when I study, there's opposition. When I pray, there's opposition. I, I know you have the same experience as I do. Here I am praying, and these thoughts come into my head. Where in the world did that come from? Why is that there? It has nothing to do with what I'm praying about. There's opposition. Opposition is there on every hand. The situation that I was describing earlier, Aunt Martha and I being there talking in the, in the golf shop years ago. I don't know how many years ago that was. Now, it's over 10, I know, at least. Um, but opposition. We hear the gospel being preached. Opposition. I'll stand here preaching and I'll be opposed. People have told Teresa she's a hard person to preach to. I don't know what it is. I mean, she's smiling right now. That's not hard for me to preach to. And I know her. She's not hard for me to preach to. But people have told her that before. And I guess whenever she doesn't have any expression on her face, maybe people think, well, she's not receiving what it is I'm having to say. And the devil can do that. I mean, any man standing up here, it could be Conrad Murrow, it could be Mark LeCour, it could be uh, Mac Tomlinson, anybody, could look at our faces and we don't mean anything by it. We're just looking. You know, or maybe somebody's tired and, Brooke, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> 
because I know you've seen, I, I know you have seen me see you yawn this morning. You're not the only person that's yawned, but but people, and I, I bring that up because I don't want you to think that I'm talking about you. Um, but I could be standing here preaching and see her do that, and boy, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I, I just must not have anything to say this morning, and it's unprofitable, and 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 be defeated as I'm standing here. You know, you don't know that's going on as I'm standing here talking. But I don't know what's going on with you either. Here you are out there listening to the Word of God being preached, and there's things going on in your mind, and and, and not the Bible, that the devil is opposing what the Bible is saying unto you. The devil's opposing it. And you're thinking all sorts of thoughts about yourself. Or maybe the devil's opposing you hearing the gospel because you're thinking, well, that's just the kind of message so-and-so needed to hear. You know, all sorts of things go through your mind. What do we need to do? When we find this opposition, prayer, preaching, witnessing, you know, listening to the Word of God, whatever it is that we're doing, what do we need to do? I'll tell you, the first thing you ought to do is be encouraged. Be encouraged. You're exactly where you need to be. Or the devil wouldn't be opposing you. You know, if you were going the wrong way, if you weren't on the right way, and you're going the wrong way, the devil's going to leave you alone. Let you keep going. You know, keep going that way. You're doing good. You know, I'm not going to oppose you. I'm not going to bother you. Just keep on going that way. You know? it, I encourage. Yeah, that meadow does look smooth. Oh, wow, that is pleasing to the eyes. It's soft to the feet. Why don't you yeah, go that way? Sure, yeah. He's not going to oppose you. He'll encourage you. But you ought to be encouraged if you find opposition. Don't get discouraged when you find opposition. Be encouraged. Because you're right where you need to be. If you weren't, the devil would not oppose you. <clears throat> I was listening to Brother Conrad on this passage this, this very week. And he said, many are discouraged. But he said, we ought to be encouraged because the devil's a defeated foe. That was another thing you, you think about when you're opposed. I'm saying be encouraged because you're where you ought to be. You know, what I was listening to him, what he was talking about was be encouraged because the devil's a defeated foe. <clears throat> he, he can't... He, he's, the devil's God's devil. He can't do anything that God doesn't let him do. Be encouraged. He's defeated. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we certainly find that to be so here in our text. Brother Conrad said he's a defeated foe, but it seems that God lets him in. This is interesting, and it's true. God lets him in, that is the devil, lets him in on anything that he's about to do. God does that. God lets the devil in on things that he's about to do. I'm not saying he gives him foreknowledge in letting him in. I'm saying he lets him oppose. Why does God do that? He lets him oppose what he's doing. God has a purpose in doing that. You know, one... I can tell you that we're on the right track. When the devil opposes us, we know we're on the right track. He wouldn't oppose us otherwise. But he lets him do. Why did he let, why did he let the devil in on this? Why did he let Elymas be here to oppose what Paul and Barnabas were having to say? Another reason? He unmasked this man. He unmasked this man right in the very presence of Sergius Paulus, the governor. This man whom he had trusted in. He found him out to be a fake. Found him out to be what he was. He was a false prophet. But he lets the devil turn all hell loose on it. Whatever it is he's about to do. But he's not going to prevail. He's not going to prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it, God's word says. But he lets him oppose it. But we must remember that though the devil opposes it, it is God who disposes or turns a particular thing to a particular end. God's end, God's purpose will be done even though the devil is mixed up in it and opposing it. God's purpose will be done. Now, I, can't, I can't tell you all the reasons why God allows the devil in to oppose. I can tell you in this particular situation it was to unmask this man for what he was. I mean, like I said, if he had left him in bed sick that morning... They may have preached the gospel to him and he shows up the next day after Paul and Barnabas are gone and then opposes 
and maybe gets the upper hand. Maybe he convinces Sergius Paulus that these things aren't so. I can tell you a number of reasons why. Look, here, 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 and here, and here. But yet he allows the opportunity for the devil to oppose at the same time Paul is presenting the gospel so that those things aren't undermined. So that there is a defense of the gospel. Maybe you wondered why when you witness to somebody there's somebody else there that's denying things that you're saying. Maybe it's better for that person to hear you face those things and confront those things at that particular moment for the sake of that person that's hearing so they can say, yeah, I can see what that person's saying that's trying to oppose what you're saying, but I, the, the Word of God does say that, and you know, that opposition, you know, that doesn't hold water. It may have sounded good otherwise, but it doesn't hold water now. But God will have His way. He will turn the thing to the end that He purposes. But Paul was preaching and telling the governor the truth, and every time he did so, this man Elymas would oppose him and say, that's not so. But we need to know, the devil is going to oppose us, and when he does, we ought to be encouraged, and we ought to remember that he is a defeated foe. God actually uses this opposition to convert this man. Now, this is how it happened in this particular situation. How God might do that in different situations, I don't know. How God might do that in every situation with you and with me. This man is blinded. That doesn't happen every day. But you have to understand the situation too. I mean, here this man had been under the influence of this sorcerer. Okay? And so, the Lord shows him that... This isn't real power. This is all false. Here's the truth. And through the miraculous circumstance of this man being blinded, the Lord uses this as, as, a, as a step of faith for this man to step on to, to grow and to see here's the truth. And this may not be our experience exactly, but... We can say this, that the power of God in whatever situation, He did things this way because of the circumstances that were there. The Lord did. But we can say this, though this may not be our experience exactly like this with Paul and Barnabas and this sorcerer, we can say this, the power of God will be brought to bear to the degree necessary to prove the truth as it is to that person. It will be whatever's necessary. Paul said to Elymas, The hand of the Lord is upon thee. It wasn't to enlighten or strengthen him. I'm glad the hand of the Lord is upon me and my life. He governs, he directs, he guides, he instructs, he disciplines. The hand of the Lord is upon me. The hand of the Lord, Paul says, is upon this man. But it wasn't to strengthen and it wasn't to enlighten her to guide. It was to blind and to paralyze him. But Paul tells him the punishment in verse number 11 is only going to be temporary. He says you're not going to, be, you're not going to see for a season. You shall not see the sun for a season. This man who had blinded others from the truth, who had turned others from the faith, would be struck blind himself temporarily. Perhaps the blindness. We don't know what happened to this man after this. Perhaps the blindness worked out for him like it did for Saul. Saul was blinded once too. Yeah, on the road to Damascus. Maybe this blindness worked out to profit this man as much as it did for Paul. But when all was done, verse number 12 tells us that the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed. That was what was necessary for that man to believe. And that's the the extent to which God went what was necessary. God took the very effort of Elymas to make crooked the path of God and hinder the faith of Sergius Paulus and not only overcame it, but he used it to bring the governor to faith. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be used like Paul and Barnabas. I mean, we all want to do the Lord's will, those of us who 
who claim to be Christians and claim to serve God, you know, I'd, I'd like to to be like this, be like Paul and Barnabas. I'm not saying I'd like to strike somebody blind. I'm not saying that, of course. But to be used of God in the sense in which these men were used. Spirit-filled and Spirit-led men. What does it take to be used of God to this degree? In Acts, Acts chapter 6 and verse number 4, we read a verse that the apostle said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. If you want to be used of God, you've got to give yourself continually to Him to be used by Him. And if we will do that every single day, then at the end of every day, we'll be able to say, everything I've done today can stand as a sweet-smelling offering to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's if we're giving ourselves continually to that task. We're in a battle, and we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. If we were fighting, if we were fighting a physical warfare, then you use physical weapons. We're fighting a spiritual warfare. Therefore, spiritual weapons must be used. We must give ourselves continually to prayer to the ministry of the Word, to studying the Word of God, reading the Word of God, applying the Word of God to our lives, knowing the Word of God that we may help others and instruct them. This is why we must give ourselves continually to the Word of God in prayer.